the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a great question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Grass. Here's to the mortgage, in fact, here's to suburbia. Lay down your briefcase far from the rat race where nothing can disturb ya. Uncomplicated, it's what we waited for so long in this city. Come, let us go there, live like Thoreau there, a life of sweet simplicity. Did you set the thermostat? No, I don't know where it's at. Tuesday the Cub Scouts meet again. Walk the dog and cut the grass. Take the kids to dancing class. Jim's Little League got beat again. Can't keep a maid here no matter what they're paid 
the place has bad publicity. Why did we move here? Don't you remember to, to live, live in sweet simplicity? Here's two mosquitoes, clam dip and Fritos, to golf and bridge and scuba there. Men wearing knee pants, women in capri pants, discussing what's with Cuba there. Each big appliance treats you with defiance until it finally falls apart. Call the repairman, in a week he's there, man, to knock your kitchen walls apart. Tommy's got a bloody nose, gotta fix the garden hose. Book of the month club came today. Didn't read the last one yet. Yes, you did, but you forget. Oh, well, they're all the same today. Here's Mrs. Ritter, she's the babysitter. Tonight. Going joyously Back to the city Where life is gay and witty Back to the noise there That everyone enjoys there Back to the crush there Hurry, let us rush there Back to the rat race Don't forget your briefcase Back in the groove there Say, why don't we move there Away, away from, from all of this Sweet simplest this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is, uh, you know, I have a lot of authors on this show, uh, but my guest today is the subject of a biography uh, written about his life and his business. Uh, The book is called A Summer Classic, not to be confused with a Sumner classic, <laughs> The Bew White Story. And it's, in fact, Bew White who joins me by phone. Hi, Bew. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. What is it like um, having someone write your story and, and reading about your life in someone else's words? I thought it was great. I mean, we basically spent almost an entire year together. You know, interviewing different. Well, he he interviewed him. I didn't. I went to, to a couple of the banks with him, but uh, but he interviewed most of the people himself, and uh, I think he captured it pretty good. I've gotten some really good reviews, and 
I'm excited about it. It's it's being called a sweeping biography of Summer Classics founder and entrepreneur that examines love, life, and business. Um, tell me a little bit about Summer Classics because it's going to be real easy to confuse that with the title. The title is a Summer Classic, but the name of of your very successful uh, lawn furniture business is called Summer Classics. Yeah, it's really a high-end luxury outdoor furniture business that I started based, well, I used to be, I was a sales rep, you know, selling on the road, and I had a really large territory, and I decided I want to get off the road and do my own thing, and I started like 10 to 12 different companies under the title Vista, Vista Wicker, Vista Lamp, Vista Mirror, I had all these companies, and then I started Summer Classics, and one day my secretary came in the office, or the person answering the phone came in the office and said, Mr. White, I answered the phone, Vista Corporation, but almost every time I do, they say, is this Summer Classics? And I was like, well, when you go back to your desk, answer the phone, Summer Classics. And I decided to get rid of all that stuff and work on the outdoor uh, furniture part of the business. We're in the indoor furniture business, too, under a brand called Gabby now, but um, that my son started... But my, I was selling outdoor furniture primarily, so I really understood that business, and I didn't didn't really like anything that was out there, and I knew all the lines really well. I didn't even like what I was selling very much, so I started making product that I liked because I was a baby boomer. I said, hmm, I wonder if people will like what I like, and they did. And then eventually, I had to make stuff I thought people would would like, you know that I didn't necessarily buy for my wouldn't necessarily buy for myself, but it's worked extremely well. And and one of the things the premise was to have a product that would last twenty years or longer so that when people had it fifteen or twenty years they would go, Wow, I I, I love this stuff. I still have it. It looks like I bought you know, it looks like new still and the quality is great. The pricing was the problem. I mean, to make it something that lasts outside that long, you know, you had to use a lot of UV inhibitors and very expensive materials to to make it last. So that was the theory, and really paid off. You know, after 15 years, when people started talking about it, the word of mouth really helped. Well, let me yeah, let me ask you about that because uh, people's lifestyles have changed dramatically and and i wonder has the pandemic had an impact on people wanting to dress up outdoor space yes definitely our volumes our order activities up 65 percent wow we haven't been able to ship that much because we can't get it in fast enough and get it back out fast enough mostly because of what you're hearing container prices from Indonesia, for example, have gone from six thousand to thirty thousand dollars. Wow! Which is basically double the price of our product, more than double the price of our product. So we're not charging that much in hopes that the the container prices will go down. But it's uh, it's pretty distracting <laughs> to say the least. Well, yeah, but since the pandemic and and so many people spent so much time at home. They've started looking at, at their yards as additional living space, haven't mm-hmm. they? Yeah, plus people want to, I mean, the thing that has happened, and it's just now coming back, is the restaurant business and people wanting to eat outside as opposed to inside. So we've spent a lot of time working on dine, outdoor dining, you know, 
but we're you know relatively expensive comp to the brands where you could buy a chair for a hundred dollars or less so we're not getting the mass part of that business but the people that have really nice restaurants and want a really nice outdoor setting we're that's where we fit we've also gotten into the retail business our big business is selling to dealers so we sell to stores that carry furniture or outdoor furniture and uh, that's a big part of our business. But we also have another business of retail stores. We have about 20 retail stores. And then we sell contract hotels, restaurants, nursing homes, assisted living. But the book is really about me almost dying. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. Well, I want to get to and that. And trying to change my life a little bit. I, I, I want to I get to that in a minute. But it's so mm-hmm. fascinating because you put a lot of investment into a concept that hadn't really taken off yet i mean when you first started you know making these products these high-end outdoor furnishings at the time there was maybe a picnic table in the yard or a table and chairs on a deck outdoor living was a cardboard box in an alley downtown (laughs) and I mean, really, it was, you know, it was very different than it is now. And I, I'm just wondering, did you have some, I, I don't know, insight along the way that that people were going to change the way they lived and want to be outdoors more, whether it was dining out at their favorite restaurant, you know, sitting out on a patio or, you know, creating more living space in their own backyard. Well, fabric has had a huge, uh, it's really changed the business. Ah. Um, there's, there's these new fabrics. They feel like cotton or silk even or linen. And they, they, you can use them outside, and you can put Clorox on them if they get mildew on them. So, and, and so I really love that. I, was, I came out of the textile business, so I, I spent a lot of time working on fabric, designing our own fabrics for our products, and so that's really driven the business. The other thing is um, comfort. So because you can, because foam is what your sofa is made out of, so you're, you're, chairs inside your house are really comfortable mostly and they don't change shape because of foam but people were putting outdoor furniture outside using primarily dacron but it pancakes after you sit on it a lot and so <laughs> we developed, true. yeah we developed a product called um, the, the dream cushion which is memory foam pillow top waterproof cover and then you know you basically had a cover you basically had a cushion and then you put a cover of fabric over that and so um, it didn't absorb moisture, and so it allowed you to put foam outside, and that really made a huge difference in our business. It still does. I mean, there's nothing that sits like this. <clears throat> so you, you're, a lot of people say my chair, my outdoor furniture chairs are more comfortable than my recliner inside my house. And so they, it's kind of drawn people to the outdoors, and the fabric gives it a little softer. If you think about the way outdoor furniture looked, it was pretty harsh. It was so, you know, you're basically sitting on metal or you're sitting on plastic or something like that. Yeah. Or wood, you know, so it's really changed the whole feel of it and color. You know, made a big difference. More about the Bew White story with Bew White. Straight Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about the Bew White story with Bew White straight ahead. As as much as people love to read success stories about business and about entrepreneurs, and, and you alluded to it a moment ago, what is it about your life story that you felt was important to share with people and and caused you to allow this this story to be written and told well um there's a couple of things in there that that i think will resonate with a lot of people one is that uh it takes a lot of work to be an entrepreneur it takes a lot it takes rather there's six characteristics of a entrepreneur that you must have and if you don't have all six of them then then it won't work and uh, those are. Do you want? Do you want to hear those? <laughs> well, I, I'm then really that, trying to go back and pick up on something you said yeah, that was my, kind okay, of a bombshell. Yeah. So I, you I, know, I, when you say I almost yeah. died, that yeah. means there's a story there, Bu. <laughs> okay. So um, I went to China uh, 29 times, and doing that, you, you're. I didn't realize this, but I have a problem with clotting. You know, blood clotting. Mm. And so um, I had a, I had a situation in 2013 where I had five blood clots in my lungs. So fortunately, I went to the hospital right away. I was out of town, went to the hospital, and uh, got in the hospital. And the next day, I had one hit my I don't know if it hit my heart or my lungs, but my heart stopped. And I can tell you, you get a signal to your brain that says. You know, you're going to die, and you got a few minutes to say whatever you're going to say. We're <laughs> yeah. out of here. You know, infinity awaits you. And so um, it was just a huge wake-up call for me. In fact, that was what made me go, write the book. Write the, I've got a signal. Number one, you get a signal to your brain that goes, you're going to die. Say whatever you're going to say. And then literally, you got a few minutes. It's. It, I don't think people realize that. I don't know that. Fortunately, I didn't even pass out, but I was 99, I was 100% sure I was dead. And then I came back, I was like, why am I here? And if, if you've seen the, have you seen the movie Captain Phillips, Tom Hanks movie? No, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. At the end, well, there's a section in there at the, at, near the end where they shoot everybody around him. These Navy SEALs shoot everybody around right. him on a boat. Right, right. I remember <laughs> this. The, he's the sure he's going to die, and then he comes back, and he's he's crying uncontrollably, and the nurse is trying to talk to him. Well, I was, that was the exact feeling I had. I was like, "Why I, am I going to die? Am I going to die now? Why didn't Why didn't I die? I can't believe I'm alive. What does this mean?" And so that that caused me to start working on the book, but it's taken me from 2013 to 2021 to get it done. So I was like, "I hope I can live to get this done because." I think it can can help people with their life. With it, there's a big story about my marriage in there. It's a big story about life in general. And <clears throat> I was borrowing a lot of money back in the recession. I think that was a that was one of the reasons I started on the book prior to uh, prior to this event because uh, a lot of my friends were going, "Wow, nobody's been through this." But Summer Classics doubled every three and a half years since inception. And so you're just... Even through what they called the Great Recession. Well, no. The Great Recession, see, if you're doubling every three and a half years, and then the Great Recession hit and we went down 30%. (laughs) 
Yikes. It was like, oh my God, <laughs> you've never, I set the company up where we'll get to survive that, but you're kind of wondering if it's going to be worse than 30% because you're in a situation you're not familiar with because you're normally growing and now you're shrinking. And I owed the Royal Bank of Scotland $20 million, and I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna, this whole thing's going to go away quick. And uh, I got, I got through that. I mean, I thought... I'd prefer they read the book to see how. Yeah, I well, did. of course. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to give out any spoiler alerts, but <laughs> yeah. but I but I do want to ask how does somebody, somebody how does somebody borrow twenty million dollars? I'm asking for a friend, by the way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna write a Sumner classic after this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, the banks. You know, I have an open-door policy on banks, and so I, I, was, I, constantly move around. I had to constantly move around because banks have a credit limit based on the amount of money that they have in their you know, coffers. So a billion-dollar bank would, would probably have a $10 million threshold as the most they could lend, maybe 20. I doubt it, but I doubt they'd do any 20s. All combined so or a, in, a, in individual? A trillion-dollar bank like J.P. Morgan, or in this case, it was Royal Bank of Scotland. They were the largest bank in the world at the time. Walks in my office and says, we want your business. I was like, why, why would, I can't believe y'all are even here. Why would you want my business? And so they were kind of saying, what do I have to do to get it? And I kind of walked them through, okay, if you'll do all these things, I'll move my credit line. And they said, yeah, and plus, if you need $100 million, we can do it. I was like, yeah, I know who you are, because every time I get off the plane in Hong Kong, there's your signs. And so uh, I got an incredible deal. I don't know if your listeners understand banking that much, but I got 63% on inventory and 90% plus on receivables. and It was incredible. Until they started squeezing me, it was it was amazing uh, deal. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, they're real nice when it. they're giving <laughs> you the money, but they they get a little rougher when they want it back. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, one thing I I think a lot of people don't realize during the Great Recession was the banks got in trouble. And I th- if you look right. at what happened during the pandemic, the Fed realized that, and they said we're not going to put everybody out of business. We're going to help them, and that's where the PPP came from. And and also the concept of of banks being too big to fail. Right, yeah. So I, after that all happened, I read all that. I read all those books. I read at least four books about the Great Recession, and I realized that it was the banks that were running out of money, and they had nowhere to get money. So they went to their clients to get them to pay back their loans. But the but the monies had to free up over time. You know, what I'm saying the the banks had to free up and feel comfortable lending money. And it took till 2010 for that to happen. So you had. Two years of incredible angst amongst the people, the entrepreneurs that were trying to run their business and worried about losing their bank lines or their bank. Now, These I, and so what? Only thing, you know how they got money? The government bailed them out. Well, of course. Look at what happened. The government's bailed out. You remember they were trying to force the banks to take money, which was a smart thing to do. But well, Royal Bank of Scotland got bailed out by the Bank of England, and that's. That really helped me. You know, I didn't realize that at the time. But I've I've heard someone say that you know that that running a business is is 
really managing debt. Yes. The, and Unfortunately, that, I don't have any debt right now. But, yeah, if, if you've been in that situation, you're like, I don't ever want to have debt again. But if you're growing 65%. You know, like like I tell you, our volumes, our sales are up sixty five percent. You're like, it's like a roller coaster that's constantly on the, you know, this goes up to the top of the hill, and it's going down, and you're screaming. It's kind of like that. You're like, oh God, how do I get through this? It's exciting, but you constantly need money. What was it like in the in the early days for you? I, I remember reading something about you. You were traveling and practically going door-to-door selling yeah well fortunately i sold one of my big events was i sold william sonoma um and i was on the cover of the william sonoma catalog william sonoma's pottery barn william sonoma l and and several other companies at that time they owned a company called gardeners eden and so we got in there and i sold them 10 truckloads and and because it was so big, I didn't have the wherewithal to paint it all. So I was making the pro- this incredible product. This uh, it take me too long to explain the product, but um, it's, it, it, you painted it. It had to paint it. It's painted wooden furniture for outdoors. And I developed this product that you could paint, and it would last 20 years or longer outside, which is very unusual for wood. Anyway. I went to Chile and negotiated a deal where they'd put the first few coats on because I was doing all the painting myself at the time. And uh, long story short, they switched the paint on me, and so I shipped the 10 truckloads. I had to recall it. I found out that the paint would peel if it rained. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. So I recalled it, and I had nowhere to put it. And I'm like, Plus, I tied up all this money and that, and I had to start over. It worked out because they, they were selling it so well that uh, they needed the product. So I, I replaced it, but I had to paint it all myself then, and I lost my trust in my supplier, too, because they had changed, you know, tried to save money and switch paints on me. How, so, did, uh, <clears throat> how did you I, decide to have uh, Christopher Taunton write the book? How did, how did that... That's, I, I interviewed... Uh, what I would do is, this is kind of interesting, I interviewed five different writers, and uh, I would get them to write a chapter for me, and then I would well, I would pay them $3,500 to write a chapter, or sometimes I paid them $5,000 to write a chapter, and uh, then I would make a decision on, and that's really, I, I was sure I was going to get somebody in that, and I couldn't, I, I didn't find anybody, and then Larry Taunton, who's written a bunch of books, as a friend of mine said, I'll help you, and I'll get my son, who's just gotten out of seminary, to write it, and then I'll edit it. I was like, okay, that should work, and then he wrote a uh, chapter, and I said, okay, let's go. So that's, I lost a lot of money. I lost a lot of money fooling with that, but I was like, I'm, I'm just so intent on getting it done. I was, and he did a really good job. So. Well, Buell, I would say it was it was a good decision on your part to yeah. have someone write this as a biography as opposed to writing an autobiography because I'm afraid you would have dropped little bombs like I almost died and I came <laughs> up with a paint. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. there's a lot more to coming up with a paint. <laughs> you know. Exactly. So it was just, uh, it's, it's 
it's just a unique story. I had, had a lot of my friends had been pushing me. It's like you need to write a book. This is an incredible story. I was like, I don't know how to write. I was like, I wrote thirteen chapters. I, I, there's a couple of pretty good ones in there, but these are I can't write. Well, but let's get back to that. I came up with a paint. I. I, I really was under the impression that your background was somewhat in engineering, and I could understand you, you know, looking for and finding and using different materials to design um, furniture that was more durable and more comfortable and so on. But what about the chemistry part of this? You, you well, know, you, you just to, threw yeah. that out. I came up with well, a I did paint. Take textile chemistry. <laughs> Which was dying about dying, about not dying, but changing the color of product. Yeah. So uh, I was a textile engineer, so that's that was my background. I spent a lot of time in New York uh, working on fabrics. Anyway, now what this was was I was having a problem with I was making cypress furniture, and I was having a problem with it rotting where the foot was in contact with the ground. The moisture was going up in the foot, and I was like. Uh. What was some, was something I could buy that's not crazy expensive that that you could paint, and the paint would stay on that would last outside. So I came up with pressure treated pine, but that's a big problem because to make pressure treated pine, you have to inject all this moisture into it. So when it, you're finished, it has a hundred percent moisture in it, and you can't paint anything that has uh, more than twenty uh, percent moisture in it. So you have to take the moisture out. So I went to Chile and worked out a deal. They have a radiata, it's a white pine, where they would pressure treat it and then kiln dry it afterwards, which has never been done, and then cut around the knots. It's a real complicated product, but it was but it was great. It was a great product, one of the best things that we've ever done. And so then you had to put oil-based enamels on it because that's the best paint you can use. Unfortunately, oil-based enamels take over 24 hours to dry, so you have to let it dry. It has to sit there for a really long time. But that in, inhibits your production because you're sitting around waiting on the, all this product to dry out before you put the next coat on. And you had to put three or four coats on the product. So that's, in a nutshell, that's it. But it was, uh, that's, that was that product. I don't make that product anymore, but it was a great product. Um. This is really a fascinating story. I mentioned when we first started talking to you that, you know, people love stories, uh, you know, success stories about entrepreneurs because, you know, a lot of people have a notion of something they would like to do, a business they would like to start, a service they would like to begin to provide. Um, and, and so it's always fascinating. Do you have advice about how people can can best position themselves or what the right way to think and act is to be successful are there some are, are there some tricks to it yeah yeah it's genes you got to have it and I don't mean blue genes <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's those those traits i talked to you about so uh, visionary would be one of them. Passionate would be, I'm, I'm extremely passionate. Driven. I always say my great my somebody my great grandfather my grandfather did this to me, but I'm so driven I can't sleep. <laughs> it's like 
you know, it's nice if it works, but it's going to drive you crazy. Well, I think... A uh, risk taker. You've got to be a risk taker, you know, so... I was taking incredible. Basically, I was betting my house in the first part of the um, in the first part of my career. I'm betting my house every year for years, probably ten years at least. And so you've got to be able to take risk, and they have to. The bigger the risk, the better the reward. You know, the higher the reward. It's, it's, it works that way in the stock market too. So. Yeah, but also the bigger the stumble. Um, yeah. Have you have yeah, you had was, the, have you had those stumbles along yeah, I had the way? Yeah, thirty million dollar mistake. Well, I say I have a MBA in mistakes. So I've made so many <laughs> mistakes. Certainly, the one with the ten truckloads was a that we talked about earlier. That was yeah. a mistake. I'm working on my PhD right now because I'm still making mistakes. But uh, but so you know, you after you've done this a while, you you kind of figure it out. And the other thing you need is problem solving. You got to be a problem solver. So those are those are six characteristics that that somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur needs to have. They've really got to have all six of those, or probably a good idea not to do it. Or they maybe they ha- they have a partner that has three and they have three, and they can work together. That that might work. But um, I wouldn't attempt what I I wouldn't attempt what I did if I didn't have all those. It's funny because I was reading a book about this. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, thank God I had those, because if I didn't, I really would have gone out of business. And I think a lot of it is uh, is grit. It's really pushing through a situation which you say, I can't do this anymore, and saying, I can do it. And I think uh, having, having people that support you, like I had my wife that was really supportive of me. and uh, Bill, really you helped. seem to have a really upbeat attitude. Have you always been able to do that? I mean, you talk about losing sleep, and, you know, I have a, a hard time imagining you, because you seem so jovial, you know, really stressing in that way, although I don't know anybody who could owe somebody $20 million and, <laughs> and be able to sleep. But, yeah, exactly. I did, or, or did, I did this. Need, I'll tell you this. I didn't need amphetamines to stay up during that <laughs> great recession. Or, or did this upbeat attitude come along with the 65% increase in sales? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that does. It does I mean, you've got to be an optimist. That's probably one of the things I left off on the six things that you need. That's going to be the seventh. You've got to be a total optimist to... And to, and you also need to be optimistic to get your people fired up about what you're doing, you know. So, but being an entrepreneur and and starting a business is a huge commitment. I don't think people realize, you know, what they're what they're getting into. I I know people who've started restaurants, and you know they're there from the crack of dawn until the wee hours <laughs> yeah. of the morning, day in and day out. I mean, it's twenty four seven. Um. You know, it's it's a a real tough commitment, and and I wonder how do you how do you manage to have a business and a life? Right. Well, the life part. I think they need to read the book to hear about that. The drive <laughs> part is, uh, yeah, I wasn't there for my my son pointed this out to me. I was never there for his birthday because it was during Atlanta market, so I was never there and he's kind of living in in my shoes right now so he understands but 
that's the other thing your kids don't understand until you uh, until they grow up and realize what they've got and like wow this is incredible business you have I was like yeah well this is what I was doing while y'all were complaining about me never being at home and I totally get that <laughs> in fact that was the the what I had done was started the business to try to be at home more you know because I was traveling I was a traveling salesman and it didn't work i mean i still because you have to work so hard and uh to get it to accomplish anything well it's, it's certainly not the jeff bezos story or mark zuckerberg story but it's really well a small entrepreneur you know growing into a big business that has a lot to do well uh, with it has a lot to do with being driven getting through the bad mistakes you're going to make a lot of mistakes when you do it and uh, coming out on top at the end that that has a lot to do with uh, the story that well, I think people will enjoy. Well, the book is called A Summer Classic, The Bew White Story, and my guest is, in fact, himself, Bew White. Um, Bew, we've touched on a lot of different things, things about your business, things about your life, and, and of course, we've talked about the book a little bit and what people can expect from the book, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Do you have a website? Yes. I have, well, of course, Summer Classics website, and then there's a BewWhite.com. By the way, I had to buy BewWhite.com. I couldn't believe somebody owned BewWhite.com, but they did. And so I had to buy it. I thought that was fascinating that somebody wouldn't buy my name. I think they're just buying everything possible, but... Yeah, BewWhite.com. Of course, it's available on Amazon. And this is interesting. My roommate in college was an, it became an actor, producer, director, won a couple of Emmys. And he read it and said, hey, I want to read it for Audible. And so he does the Audible. And he's, oh, nice. He's very animated during the read. And so I think that if you like Audible, I'm a big Audible guy. That would be a great way to read it, too. You know, I, I, I was, but I don't spend. It, it was always something I did in the car, and I don't spend as much time in the car anymore. Well, you can you, you do you can actually you know there's an Audible where you can go to sleep. It has a sleep feature on it, so you can play it. Really? I, not that my book is going to put you to sleep, <laughs> but, but, but it's, it's kind of a cool feature. Well, Bue, it's been a delight talking with you. Thanks so Thank much you, for sharing your time and some of your story with me and the listeners this morning. And, of course, uh, sharing your story in this new book, which is called A Summer Classic, The Bue White Story. Um, Bue, take care and keep up the good work. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. All right. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, Bue White and uh, the book, A Summer Classic, The Bew White Story. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Summer Program.com The Tom Summer Program.com
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. 
This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, I worked as an accountant for a number of years in Chicago. Uh, and I had a kind of a strange uh, theory of accountancy. Uh, I had always felt, uh, you know, if you got within two or three bucks of it, <laughs> but <laughs> this never really caught on. <laughs> and as a consequence, I held a number of different accounting jobs, you see. And it seemed like whenever I would go with a company, uh, they would always be having a retirement party. And I found out one thing. They are all alike. Uh, different people will retire. Different people make the speeches. But they all say the same tired old thing. I went to one in Chicago for a guy named Chuck Bedlow. He was an accountant, and he was retiring after 50 years. And first of all, Mr. Clayton got up. He was the president. He gave a little address. Then Mr. Tipton, the vice president, gave a little address. And finally, Bruce Higgins, the head of the accounting department, got up and gave a little address. And he was Mr. Trite. He used every cliche that had ever been used at a retirement party. Uh, and he said things like this. Well, uh, uh, golly, I guess today's the day, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it's really going to seem funny, though, uh, golly, walking in here Monday morning and, and not seeing, uh, not seeing uh, uh, Charlie's uh, smiling, happy face there at the desk. I, uh, I got to calling him smiling, easygoing Charlie, <laughs> and I guess most of us had some sort of nickname or other. We used to call him from time to time. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget... Uh, well, that, that too, yeah. Uh, I'll never forget, a kind of amusing thing happened. Uh, I had just gotten out of college, and uh, now what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? I, I, well, a, a little wet behind the ears, I guess might be the way to put it. <laughs> and I was made department head here. And uh, many's the night that Charlie and I used to uh, sort of uh, burn the midnight oil, so to speak. So let's really hear it now for a wonderful old guy. Uh, uh, Charlie uh, Bredlow. Bedlow, Bedlow. Charlie? Well, I uh, uh, thank, uh, thank you very much, Bruce. Golly, I've been uh, sitting here uh, listening to uh, Mr. Clayton and uh, Ms. Mr. Tipton and, of course, Bruce here, and through all of their speeches, one thought kept sort of uh, recurring in my mind. I... Uh, I think I'm going to throw up.
I have never heard such dribble in all my life. <laughs> I, I don't suppose that it, it ever occurred to any of you that I had to get half stoned every morning <laughs> to make it down to this crummy job. <laughs> You'd, uh, you'd, you'd be smiling and easygoing if you were gassed all the time, too. <laughs> but you put in your 50 years, and they give you this crummy watch. <laughs> they, I try to, try to make a big deal out of it. It works out to about 28 cents a year. <laughs> but uh, ser seriously, if it hadn't been for the 50 bucks a week that I glommed out of petty cash, <laughs> well, I, I just uh, I couldn't have made it on the. And a lousy salary they pay it. <laughs> oh, and then uh, someone started the rumor about Miss um, Wilson, the, uh, the cashier, and myself. <laughs> and everyone was running, if, uh, you know, when I retire and uh, she gets back from her vacation in Florida, whether well, uh, we would get married, I suppose, and spend our declining years down there. Uh, she, she isn't coming back, by the way. <laughs> I understand that sweet old Miss Wilson is uh, into this company for about a hundred thousand bucks. <laughs> it's, it's a little deal that she's worked out. She either calls it uh, double payrolling or ghost payrolling or some, something having to do with payrolling. <laughs> I can never make heads or tails out of what she was talking about. Of course, she's uh, down in Mexico with a hundred thou. And I'm up here with this crummy watch. <laughs> So anything that I might say, I suppose, would be sour grapes. <laughs> One last thing. A lot of uh, people have asked me, Charlie, what are you going to do when you finally retire? Are you going to get a little uh, part-time job in Florida or uh, just a lull around the beach? Or in other words, what am I going to do? I have some tapes from some office parties. <laughs> that I'm, I'm going to let go for 1,500 bucks a copy. <laughs> now let me, let me take that back a minute. Uh, the June picnic may run 17.5. <laughs>
and with the money that I make off of the tapes and Ms. Wilson's hundred thou, <laughs> I should uh, do pretty good. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. <laughs> <laughs> 